On this week's Knights podcast, we reflect upon history's lessons about diversity and how a community can take steps to build cross-cultural bridges. Joining us for this discussion are Bomi Roberson, Kyla Corian, Courtney Bryant, and Sarah Abraham, along with Headmaster Robbie Hinton. My name is Courtney Bryant. My husband and I have been at CCS for a little while, and we have a beautiful biological child who came into CCS, Caucasian and white like we are. Uh, but we are blessed with um, our daughter, one of our four, is from Ethiopia. And one of the thoughts that we had as we started to mull over what it looked like to have a daughter who does not maybe fit what everyone else in her classroom looks like we began to really pray about this a year before we ever got to the kindergarten room with reeve Um, and so we started to really pray about it talk to andrew's parents about it and they are prayer warriors so um, his mother just said you know courtney i just believe that god's going to do something with this and i'm going to start believing and praying for another family another ethiopian family specifically that would be in her classroom this next year Um, I love my mother-in-law, and I I just believed that that was, uh, we knew a lot of the Ethiopians in the Cary area, and I thought that that was a little bit extreme in her prayers. So I said, how about we just pray for someone who looks like her, who has skin color that looks like her? She said, no, we're praying for an Ethiopian. And over the course of the year, we would pray with her, and she would remind me of her prayer. And uh, the first day of school, you go in the day before and see the class and get to see the parents. And it, it is a day that I'll never forget. We walked in, and it was the moment we knew we were so called to CCS because God just affirmed so clearly uh, for our family that we were here. Um, and I looked in that kindergarten classroom, and in the corner of the classroom, as far away as I could see, there was this family who I knew was Ethiopian. I just knew by, their, by the look of them, and I beelined it over to them, left Reeve in the dust, beelined it over to her, and I said, hi, my name is Courtney. <laughs> and she said, hi, I'm Eden. And I said, You're, are you from Ethiopia? She said, yes. I said, oh my goodness. And I started bawling. And I just, I said, you are an answer to a year's worth of prayers for our family. Mm-hmm. We th- praise God for them. We praise God that Reeve is here. But we also praise God that he is doing a work here to make this place as the throne will be. Um, with different colors and different cultures and different people with different languages. We love that. And we, um, we're just rejoicing that God is answering the prayer that we've prayed, not just you know over the course of now two years um, for this place. And, and we rejoice that that hallway looks different today than it used to. Thank you, Courtney. My name is Robbie Hinton, and I'm the headmaster here at Cary Christian School. And we'd like to thank you for joining us. The purpose of our podcast is, is, First and foremost, we just want to help our parents and our community to know more about who we are as a school so that we can strengthen our partnership here with our parents and grow stronger, therefore, as a school. Uh, To kind of start us off and to start our discussion, they've read the letter from a Birmingham jail by Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm going to ask them to read just their favorite sentence or, or portion of the essay that they love that spoke right to them and so i'm asking mm-hmm. them to go around and courtney will you get us started sure i have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the ku klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devo- devoted to order than to justice 
who prefers a negative piece, which is the absence of tension, to a positive piece, which is the presence of justice. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow provincial outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider. We must see the need of having nonviolent gadflies to create the kind of tension in society that will help men to rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. We have waited for more than 340 years for our God-given and constitutional rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward the goal of political independence, and we still creep at a horse-and-buggy pace toward gaining a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. I guess it's easy for those who have never felt the sting of darts of segregation to say, wait, but when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled police curse, kick, brutalize, and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society, when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park that was just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she's told that fun town is closed to colored children and to see depressing clouds of inferiority bring to form in her little mental sky and to see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people when you have concocted an answer for a five-year-old son who <clears throat> asking in agonizing pathos daddy why do white people treat colored people so mean when you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you when you're humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored, when your first name becomes the N-word and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and when your wife and mother, never given the respected title Mrs., when you're harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro, living consistently at a tiptoe stance, never knowing what to expect next, and plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you <clears throat> are forever fighting the degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There are, comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of injustice, where they experience the bleakness of corroding despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. One day the South will know that when these disinherited children of God sat down at lunch counters, they were in reality standing up for the best in the American dream 
and the most sacred values in our Judeo-Christian heritage. Thank you all for uh, enjoying this essay. We've been sitting around here for a little while discussing the essay and discussing Martin Luther King and discussing uh, the impact of reading this letter on us personally. And the reason I chose this essay is for several reasons, but first, it meets what we're trying to accomplish here in our school. At Cary Christian School, we want our students to walk out of here finding Christ through the academic experience so that as they learn more, they are changed by what they learn. And therefore, they learn this powerful tool that when they walk out of here, they know how to confront the world and the human predicament with love and with logic. Now, Sarah, you and I were discussing this before we got started, this idea of love and logic. And from an Indian perspective, from India, uh, this has something, you were telling me something about the concept of truth force. Yes. So that was um, a predecessor to Martin Luther King Jr. was Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, who started the movement in India. And this was when the British colonized India and the British ruled us. And they ruled us for a hundred years before we got our freedom. And the only way that Mahatma Gandhi found was effective was the nonviolent way and the way of Satyagraha, which was, if you break that word down, it is Satya, which means truth, and Agraha, which means um, your willpower, the force. So the force of truth, to force the truth to come to light, mm. Um, and in a peaceful, nonviolent way. Um, he did that through processions, marches, um, sit-ins. He um, went through um, an, um, almost a way of, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, he would ban, um, what, what they did was they stopped using products made by the British. Um, they did it through civil disobedience, gave up positions that they were given in the um, in you know civil offices, they would only wear Indian clothing. They would um, not eat, but they had to do it with a with a sense of self-preservation and purification of themselves. Mm. Violence was not the answer to it. They would have been overpowered in a minute by the British forces. They had to find a non-violent, and the word that he um, brought forth was ahimsa which was which uh today is seen as nonviolence is widely known as nonviolence but it was actually non-harm absolutely no harm to your aggressor mm-hmm. and to defeat him by what, the what was that word truth, again ahimsa himsa ahimsa a h i m s a all right now bomi if we took ahimsa i'm going to show my ignorance there sorry if we took that to nigeria what do you think? There's just a, there's a number of complexities uh, to consider. Um, and you, I mean, there's, there've been different, number one, Nigeria has definitely progressed. So uh, you can see there's a little bit more of democracy where you, you vote and you make a point at the polls and it's heard and it's just, uh, for the most part. Um, and so I think in some, in some aspects, it may work. And then in some others, it might not, because then you're dealing with years and years and years of whatever oppression that is. 
Um, you're dealing with inherent belief systems that, you know, it requires really unpacking so many layers of cultural history of um, grievances and really having to deal with whatever um, issues are that people are dealing with or whatever um, dividing walls, if you will, that has, that, that has sort of whatever dividing walls people are experiencing, it's really going into that and really breaking those down. And there's just layers to unpack. Yeah. Well, and, and let's not overstate uh, King's impact. So, Kyla, when you think about this, when you read this, first of all, I mean, obviously, love and logic hasn't solved everything in the South um, or hasn't solved anything, this, any, everything anywhere this side of heaven. Um, so what's your response to this idea of love and logic being a, an antidote to racism? I mean, I think that as we, I think love and logic as it's presented in the letter from Birmingham jail um, and the way that King really hears what the pastors in Birmingham are saying to him um, rather than um, responding in a negative way. Um, he talks about um, the great disappointment that he has for the white church and their response to the incivility and the harm and oppression of some some of the of the whites. But he said, I can't be disappointed as deeply as I am without having great love and his great love that he has for humanity, for people, for the gospel message, for um, championing people who don't have a voice. Um, he brings it in this letter with logic. He acknowledges the point of view of the pastors as he imagines they must see it and says, thank you brothers for sharing me sharing with me your thoughts, but let me share with you also as I explain my position to you. Let me create a picture for you so that you understand. Um, let me logically appeal to your logic. Um, and uh, But I want to honor you with hearing you first, but I want to appeal to you in out of the love that we have for Christ hmm. um, to understand my point of view. And he brings such beautiful illustrations from the scripture, from uh, church history, from other civilizations, when he talks about other nations. And he just really merges it, this prose, this essay, so well, where he just shows the love of Christ that we share as a commonality. But brother, take my hand and walk with me and see my point of view. Won't you please <laughs> see my point of view? Well, and I think it's, now we could debate, did his logic and his compelling logic, and it's a brilliantly written essay, mm -hmm. was it more powerful than the images of the Children's March? And so, I mean, the story, if you look, is Martin Luther King and others had, had uh, there were children that were marching in Birmingham, and the then his title was slightly different, but he was, in essence, the mayor of Birmingham, a man named Bull Connor, uh, had ordered the police to turn fire hoses on uh, young students who were marching in the city of Birmingham. And they also had dogs out there and the dogs ended up attacking these kids because as the kids came in proximity to the dogs, there was just no way to stop it. And Bull Connor had set all of this up. And, um, and so, and of course the world saw the wickedness of Bull Connor and they saw the wickedness of a portion of the South. 
that what the South was capable of, but what I, now what's convicting to me in this essay is, now I've met many men like Bull Connor in my life. I know many of them who are just as wicked as he was and who, whose uh, sinfulness was unbridled. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's convicting about this is that when he writes this letter after being arrested during their marches, uh, he writes it to the good people of the South. And I'm going to be honest, I'm one of those good people. Um, I, I mind my own business. Mm-hmm. I do my job. But I am definitely someone who likes order more than I like justice. Mm-hmm. And so this essay, not only is it a brilliantly written academic essay that I hope all of our students feel the weight of when they're preparing their senior thesis. It's also something I look at and go, let's not be one of those good people. Um, when you think of this idea, Courtney, of being the good people, mm-hmm. what is it? how does it strike you? Oh, to the heart. I think um, being that, being, being a white girl raising, raised in America where you know, we have the amazing blessing of getting to get out of here and go overseas a lot. And when we have been in Africa specifically, you understand when you see it, how different it is to have been raised here and to have been, to, to have that privilege. It is white privilege because there is a, um, there's something given to me that is not, that I don't even consider a gift. It's inherent, right? And knowing that, I think I, and especially knowing that I have that and then I have Christ, I am now compelled to say, okay, I, the challenge for me reading this is to say, okay, I walk away from this going, and I would ask you all in the room, there are people listening to this who are good people and their hearts, like what you, what you just said, they're moved to say, I don't want to be in this category. So where, what do yeah. we do? That's the, and, yeah. and maybe you're not going that direction, but oh, that yeah. is the question. We talked a little bit in our pre-talk about differences, um, and, and our family is big into that and getting into the sort of the places of people who are different. But what do you really look to do to, to, to take that chasm and, and, and move across that? What would you in the room say? Sorry to yeah, take over. No, it's great. If I could frame just it just a little bit. Yeah, frame yeah. it in two ways first. So first of all, what do you say if somebody first said, let's go to where it's the worst. Let's go to Moldova where mm-hmm. girls are being, uh, I think they're the largest sex trafficking is happening mm-hmm. in Moldova right now, any place in the world. Or to go to places in Africa where there are um, horrible atrocities or mm-hmm. genocide is occurring. If somebody says, I'm not going to be one of the good people, I'm going mm. to the places where there's genocide or I'm going to go to the places where, where young girls are being taken uh, for trafficking purposes, is that the answer? Mm. What would you say? My first thought would be um, search your heart and pray to the Lord where he would have you to be because not everybody can travel abroad. Some people need to start locally. Some people need to start with their neighbor. So taking opportunities to um, meet people and talk with people that don't have the same experience in your neighborhood, at your school, Mm -hmm. um, 
is the first step and really seek God for direction, whether you're supposed to go to any nation that has strife, any nation that's not heard the, the gospel message. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we all have a different call, none more important than the other. It's all important in the kingdom. But I do think that it has to start with yourself and examining yourself first, mm-hmm. but talking to your neighbor about different things mm-hmm. um, is key if you don't start that conversation simultaneously while seeking God's face about what his will is for you to be able to do that. Um, but the heart of openness is really clear um, and you will make mistakes. I tell my students all the time, be prepared to offend someone, but also be prepared to make it right. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us Christians, that's we're supposed to do that. Um, but So find wherever God has placed you, mm-hmm. um, seek to know people, to know Absolutely. their differences. And seek to discover what is different. If I mm-hmm. could sum that up just yeah. a little bit. What would you say, Balmy? Should we go to Africa? <laughs> <laughs> sure, yes. Please come. Absolutely. All the countries. But I, <laughs> I do agree with Kyla. I think it's, number one, yes, praying about where you are to be. Because everyone has a specific role. And God has different purposes and they all align. But I also think it's the it's the honesty and the willingness to want to hear, to mm-hmm. listen, and then to just really have humble hearts. Mm-hmm. It's also, I think, our mindsets, that we do need to check our mindsets or um, what I like to call, you know, really ass- ass- assess what's really going on in our souls, so to speak. Like, because yeah. we all have Im- what we call implicit biases. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, uh, they're there, they're hidden, they're cultural experiences have helped to shape them, but really checking that. And I appreciate what Kyla said just a few moments ago when we were talking earlier when she said, you know, when she's talking with her students, she always says, don't assume that this person is A, B, C, or D because of who they are or because of their ethnicity. You know, listen to their life experiences or their cultural background, and then Mm -hmm. you can see their life from that lens. Don't look at them because of the color of their skin or how they look. I think that is a, I love what you are saying is the sense is, this is not a conversation about how we're going to fix the world. Mm -mm. This is a conversation about how we're going to grow ourselves Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and maybe learn to love each other. And, uh, and I suppose, so we could talk about this all day and I would, y'all, we had a discussion here for about an hour prior to our podcast Mm -hmm. starting that I would love for us to dive back into deeper our, all of our past experiences around race and around uh, differences and where we come from. Um, but I'm going to cut it short with just a quick question, and maybe we're going to come back to this in another podcast. So I, I want us to answer a question here in closing, and then I want to ask really our students and our parents who listen to this podcast, I want them to think about this too, mm-hmm. is what is it you love about who you are? and who your family is making you. And I'm going to frame that just a little bit of why I'm asking that is because, first of all, our goal in teaching history here at Cary Christian School is that each student comes to know their place, to know where they are in life, in the world, in history, to understand what all the factors that have created the place where they are and the place in time and the place in geography all the great and wonderful things about that, and then all the blind spots 
of their culture and how those blind spots may have created them. It, it, so for me, I, I am from the deep south, uh, and there's a lot in that that I don't like. There's a lot of things I've seen over my lifetime that um, I can't explain. I love the city of Birmingham. I lived there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I love that city. I, I can't explain Birmingham. I can't explain how it is, as Dr. King says, the most segregated city in America. And yet, it's also the most evangelical mm-hmm. city, I suspect, in the whole world. There are more God-fearing people in Birmingham per capita than anywhere. Yet they can't seem to figure out how to effectively love each other. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that when I grew up in Birmingham, the Birmingham I've matured in is trying so hard. Mm. They're blundering and it's, they're making a lot of mistakes, but I just love watching them try. Courtney? Mm. I think for, uh, for me, I would say I, I just have grown a love through, through our daughter maybe and through just the Lord for um, just, just pushing out homogeny, just trying as hard as possible to not just be who you were sort of, what you were sort of born into. And I love that Reeves sort of catapulted us into that. We love different African cultures. You will find me at the grocery store. If I see an African and I know that they're African, I will beeline it over to them because the Lord has given me now just a heart for people that I might not have a heart for in the same way. So I love that Reeve has brought that to our family. And now we are not just the the family that we were born to born into and the the sort of circle that we were born into now we're we're different and we have different people groups that we just love and have a have a heart for because god has put that in us um and and now we yearn to be those people in all ways i think we have just a a desire to go against the grain because of her Hmm. so we're very thankful for her she's changed us in our in our family sarah what do I love about um, being Indian? Well, I love my culture. I love my country. Um, I loved growing up there. Every moment, I didn't see the occupied India. I was born way after that. <laughs> I have a great sense of pride in my people. I have a great sense of pride in the country. It has, it has been mutilated. It has been taken apart everything was robbed from it and the people still rose up and we still we're very resilient um we make a joke that you go to any corner of the world and you will find an indian um we even make that joke about a malayali you can find a malayali that's care that's um a part where i'm from you can find us everywhere i i loved that i was given the opportunities um for education to be able to travel, to come out here. I came here as an adult to Canada, not the United States, and um, I'm raising two children who are confused because they don't know who they are and where they belong. Mm -hmm. Their mother is very Indian, and they're very clear when I get angry, my my (laughs) Indianism (laughs) come out. (laughs) And, um, 
But my children have had a difficult time identifying themselves. Are they Canadian? Are they now they live in America? Are they American or are they Indian? I know they have faced some difficulties because of the color of their skin. They have not known how to answer who they are because they knew that they were Canadian. They were born in Canada. They've only been raised in Canada. And so they didn't understand why in the playground someone said, why do you look different? Why is your skin so dark? Do you stand in the sun too much? What kind of, <laughs> where do you come from? What? And they, they just didn't know how to answer it. And my answer to that is educate yourself mm. before you can educate someone else. Know who you are. Know what you, where you belong. Know your culture. Love your own skin. Mm. Love who you come from. Um, appreciate all the opportunities travel, see the world, understand them. And that is the only way we will, we will be able to defeat any form of, you know, when you feel different or feel left out or segregation, racism, to use that word. The only way to defeat it is education and love. Love on the person who does, who finds you different. Love on that person and tell them why you are so special. Don't try to just blend in. Be unique and be proud of why you're unique. I always told my children, you are unique mm -hmm. and stand out for that. Don't, don't worry about trying to put on makeup to look like the child next to you. Don't worry about it. You are beautiful in your own skin. Oh, thank you. Bomi? Yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. And I think that's what, what I love is that I have accept I am Nigerian. Mm -hmm. And I'm also American in a way because I've lived in America for a long time. But I am Nigerian and I identify a little bit more with my Nigerian culture. And it's, I appreciate the fact that it's a culture of honor and respect. Mm. And I appreciate the fact that we are very accommodating. And so bringing that in and being in America and being African, but I am look African-American and really bringing that into the culture where there is maybe any, if there's discrimination, because we have experienced some of that and just kind of seeing it from a different lens of, you know what, I am who I am, I can't change that, but I hope you would get to know me or I want to get to know you and being able to explain that and express that to my children and helping them see, like I said earlier, like the world is so much bigger than just Durham or Cary or North Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's so much bigger than the United States. There's so much to consider. And, and even at the end of it, like when God created us, he created us in his image. Mm -hmm. You know, there was, no, there was no segregation. There was no differentiation. It was mm -hmm. in his image. And he made mm -hmm. us all the way that he did mm -hmm. because that's how he wanted to make us. And that's beautiful. Amen. That's really wonderful. Amen. I'm actually struggling with this question. Um, what I love most about who I am is that um, I love my family. My family defines a lot of who who I am. When I met my husband, who happens to be Sarah, and Sarah's group, she's a Malum from India, um, we experienced some, some adversity in our um, courtship because I am of um, Native American and African and even European descent. And um, I remember my husband having to make some choices about our marriage and whether we were going to go forward with it and dating. And one of the things we both felt very strongly that the Lord was calling us to do was be uh, a reconciler amongst many people. And diversity is part of my life. I teach diversity. I've been teaching 
and participating in diversity and joining people across um, the people that Bomi's talked about, that he's made us like this. We're all his people made in his image. And God, I really, we knew our marriage would be, um, and he's shown us many times that our family would be a part of his reconciling of people. So when I think about what do I love about my family is um, my father set a really good example um, Tyler, when you interact with people, we're going to get my car fixed, and the mechanic's name is Francisco, and he says, Kyla, speak to him in Spanish. And I'm like, Dad, I don't know that much. He goes, but you honor people by speaking mm. in their language. Okay. When my father traveled to Japan, he tried to learn Jap- Japanese and learn their language because he was interested in being able to bridge the gap that existed between the cultures, and he's passed that on to me, and we're trying to pass that on to our sons and our mm-hmm. children. Um, that God is a reconciler. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. He did. This, he reconciled his son. He's using his son to reconcile us to him. So mm-hmm. um, that's what I love about my family is that we're deeply committed to God as a reconciling, reconciliation in, um, in mm-hmm. its many forms. So, you know, again, this is, hello, you know, helped us out a whole lot here. And this is a conversation, obviously, that I hope this starts a conversation in our school. And I hope it goes in several different directions. I hope, one, everybody takes an opportunity to read a letter from Birmingham Jail. I, I'm okay if you read it and then come listen to our, our individual thesis statements that our students are giving. Mm-hmm. And, and it's okay, they're not Martin Luther King. Uh, but I hope you can at least sense that we're trying to teach them how to make an argument from logic and love mm-hmm. so that when they enter into the human predicament and they enter into the world and try to challenge it, they're coming at it from logic and love and that they will create a truth force in the world uh, wherever they go. But I guess we'd also we'd end with this is, as Kyla was beginning to say, with reconciliation, I think we have to also be aware that if it doesn't end with everybody looking at us and saying our logic is compelling, mm-hmm. but if they object to our logic and want to kill us for it or persecute us for it, well, they did the same thing to our Savior. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the great teachings of King was is he was willing to be persecuted for his beliefs and yet was responded with love mm-hmm. whenever people struck him and with logic at the same time. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. On the next night's podcast, we will explore how diversity brings strength and beauty to a community.